Superbrain is a labour of love. Alas, no podcast can survive on love alone. We don't have a sponsor, so we need your support for Superbrain to stay alive and kicking. You can make a one-off donation by following the Support This Show link in the show or episode description. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello, and welcome to Superbrain, the podcast for everyone with a brain. My name is Sabina Brennan, and I want to start this episode by thanking my guest, journalist, novelist, and agony aunt, Hilary Freeman, for bravely agreeing to chat with me over two episodes about some seriously painful moments from her past. In this week's episode, we talk about her experience of public global online shaming. And next week, we talk about her resilience and how she coped with the death of her daughter under very painful circumstances. Hillary has experienced enough of the nasty side of social media to last a lifetime. As we chat, she and I try to understand how social media went from a wonderful, sharing, caring community to an online mob. Please listen with humanity and be kind. We met in Bucharest at a conference uh, on multiple sclerosis. I was speaking at the conference and you were covering it for a newspaper. And um, during one of the breaks, we were chatting and uh, we were talking actually about the Daily Mail. um, And I was saying that how fortunate I felt when um, I discovered that the Daily Mail were going to feature extracts from my book. I was yeah. really, really excited because um, I thought this is exactly the kind of audience I want to reach. I really want to give people the Rain Health message, very general audience. And um, having done interviews, etc., before, I was very keen to see, you know, that the science wasn't misrepresented or the book. Anyway, so basically um, they sent me my article uh, to read and I went through it and it was actually really fine I was really really pleased with it Um, I was really excited for it to come out because they were going to be including a link to selling the book and I thought oh this is great (laughs) and the next thing anyway uh, I get to see it and the cover of it says sorry the headline Mm -hmm. said uh, started off grand the tiny tweaks that age proof your brain from changing radio stations to avoiding tubby friends (laughs) and neuroscientist (laughs) reveals the small life changes that can create new brain matter of course then I made the mistake of going down and reading the comments and um, and that's all they'd read (laughs) that's all they'd read they actually hadn't read and actually there was quite there was a couple of people who actually took the time to say well actually if you read the article That's not what she said. What I actually was talking about was how it's important for your brain health to maintain a healthy weight, to quit smoking, you know, avoid alcohol. And then I actually had said in the article, and I say it in my book and I stand over it, be aware of social contagion, whereby 
if you are with friends who are likely to take risks or overeat or drink yeah. alcohol to excess, you are more likely to also engage in that behaviour. Of course. It's like if, you, if you're out for dinner and everyone says, oh, let's have a dessert, you're more likely to have a dessert. Absolutely. You? you might not do otherwise. No, absolutely. And that's simply what I was said. But, but avoiding tubby friends, I mean, mm. that's dreadful. And I was very fortunate because it was only comments to a Daily Mail article. Yeah. And most of them hadn't even bothered to check me out anywhere because a lot of them were referring to me as a he. So they hadn't even bothered to oh, even because notice. You're a, because, you're a, because you're a doctor, therefore Perhaps you must be a he. Because I was a doctor, <laughs> I must be a oh, he. Oh dear. You know? So this is kind of what I shared that story with you in yes. Bucharest. And then you shared a much, <laughs> much worse experience. But as it happened, it was also around um, obesity. And, and the Daily and, Mail. Yes. 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 So, so, would you like to tell us, tell well, us a little I, more? I wrote an article, an opinion piece about how um, I didn't think that telling people that were obese that they look great was necessarily a very good thing. Um, the, the body positivity movement might be counterproductive in the sense that it's encouraging people to be overweight. And instead of saying, you look great, we should be saying, talking about health, not about um, looks. Um, so it was quite, it, you know, it, it was a slightly controversial article anyway, but I made the mistake of using an illustration in the introduction of a woman who um, I'd met uh, at a nursery that I was looking at for my daughter when she was two, um, who was extremely morbidly obese and could barely walk. And I just made the point that, that, that you know, that they shouldn't be normalized, that there was more than one very obese person at this nursery, and also that the, the food that they were eating wasn't healthy food at the nursery. Um, but what happened was that the um, headline became nothing. none of my reasoned argument about health, which is basically what the article was, lots of things about health and medicine and obesity. Um, it was why I will never let my daughter be taught by a fat teacher, I think it was. I actually have it here, yeah. Oh God, yeah. Why I refuse to let my daughter be taught by a fat teacher. Writer Hilary Freeman says it's time for some home truths about obesity. Yes, and that is not what the article argues at all. Um, she wasn't a teacher. She was a nursery assistant. I have no problem with anybody of any shape, size, <laughs> gender, race, whatever, teaching my my daughter I just worry about my daughter eating jam sandwiches for tea and being in the care of someone who can't walk and breathe properly <laughs> which I think is fairly fairly yeah and, and I mean the thing is you know actually it was interesting in some of the comments I kind of read over them again before mm. before we doing this interview in, in some of the comments to my own actually one of the women said look my husband is uh, morbidly obese mm. I'm overweight we have children I would really like for them not yeah. to become obese. I want my children to be healthy. But she said, no matter what I do, my husband keeps bringing in, you know, biscuits and sweets mm. and he shows his love by giving those um, to his children. And she pointed out, children learn by example. So I really fear for my kids. And I think that was the point, in a sense, that you were making. The point that I was making is that midlife obesity increases your risk of developing dementia. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the funny thing in comments that I got was, um, well, you know what, um, you know, my family and friends are all obese and I'd rather have dementia than lose my family and friends and and that's, oh, that's not the argument or the point at all it, no. it's really around um I think it's very specific and I wonder if you agree to social media and to online whereby um we almost have um 
moral um, moral masses kind of coming out and saying, you know, we need to protect people who are heavy or we need to protect, yeah. you know, people of, of whatever minority group. Yeah. And in, that's absolutely fine. And I, I, I would absolutely imagine that you're, you're of that same oh, viewpoint. Of course. I think the thing is on, on social media, people see everything in black and white. It's either you're being, you're being nice or you're being mean. It's good or it's bad. There's no nuance at all. And especially when people only read headlines and don't actually read the argument in a, in a you know two thousand word feature, um, and of course you know I I don't I, I don't believe in discriminating against people who are overweight. I don't believe in fat shaming people, and that's what I was accused of was fat shaming. Um, but I also think that telling everybody that it doesn't matter how unhealthy they are, they're still great, is just going to make more people feel that it's okay to be overweight and then that's going to make more people sick. And we do have increasing numbers of the population who are, you know, becoming overweight. But that's, you know, the actual content... That it just so happened that we were both speaking about obesity yes. and people online um, felt that um, you know it was their moral duty to call you out and shame you about it, etc. Yeah. I mean, actually, that would be interesting if you go on to explain what, sure. what happened after the article went out. <laughs> it was not too painful. No, <laughs> it's, it's all in the past now. I can, I can deal with it. Um, so I had a, a response I had no idea that was coming at all. I knew the article might be a little bit controversial, but I had written about obesity in the past, probably in sort of pre-social media days when it were at the very beginning of it when it wasn't so big. Um, and I expected a few comments from people not not appreciating some of the messages in the article. What I got was the most enormous backlash, mainly from America, actually, um, where obviously people are a lot bigger and there is much, the the body positivity movement is a very big thing. Um, And they just, they were just attacking me, um, calling me a fat shamer. Um, A lot of them, started to get very personal about me um saying well you're not skinny so why should you know why should we listen to you and obviously I hadn't read the article part of the, what the article said was I'm not somebody who's naturally skinny I have to work at staying slim and fit and you know I have um an underactive thyroid so actually you know the excuse that people use that they have an underactive thyroid you know I understand that and you know but people just don't don't read that stuff and um and I was told you you know either Either people, there, there was complete contradiction of, of things that people were saying. So some of them were attacking me for not being overweight. Therefore, I'm not allowed to talk about this issue because I don't understand. Some of them were saying, well, you're not so slim anyway. So how dare you tell us about being, you know, we need to be slim. Um, some of them were really, really, really nasty and vicious. Um, and actually, I had things, some death threats, um, you know, not 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 death threats from anyone that I took seriously enough to report to the police because they were from people, mainly from people in America, as I said, and they didn't know where I lived or anything, but it's still very upsetting and, and shocking. Um, I had the worst the worst messages I got were on Facebook. Um, people messaged me saying things like, one, one woman said, um, uh, you're an unfit mother and you're, I hope that your daughter... Um, gets cancer and dies horribly and painfully and slowly. Um, some I had a I, I lost I lost a, a child um, uh, a few years ago, 
and I'd put um, a memorial thing on the anniversary of her death on my Facebook page and that was on a public it was my photograph so it was public um, and someone had obviously trawled through my photographs and they said um, something like um, you're, you're, you're an unfit mother you deserved for your daughter to die and oh she's better God. off stuff like that so really nasty oh my God. horrific personal that's even things. worse actually than, than, I, than I thought yeah. it was um, it's oh, th- that's really just horrific oh, horrible horrible stuff but it, it was anyway. That stuff is so shocking that it's not even upsetting because you just realise that these people are horrible, horrible trolls. But was it upsetting at the time? Yes, at the at the yeah. time, um, it was definitely upsetting at the time. I mean, the way that I I dealt with it was to talk about it and to actually to post the messages on my Facebook to my friends okay. saying look at this, look what this person's you know done, can you believe this and then of course you get lots of support from people and some people were very helpful in saying you know I'm going to track them down and I'm going to contact their employer and send them the screenshot of what they've said to you because this you know they should, that people should know about what this person is like so I did feel supported in, in that way but the other part of the backlash of, of writing that article was that I did actually lose some friends who were not happy about the article. And that was actually harder to deal with, the real-life wow. implications of it. Um, and yeah. this is interesting. I mean, I'm kind of interested in the whole phenomenon of yeah. it, you know, that yeah. how people can be so brutal. Yes. Um, Online and and for me as well, that seems I, I hadn't realised that you had lost personal f- friends through it because you yeah. can kind of somehow, you know, make it well. That's that's them, and these are you know, yeah. people that I don't know or don't have meaning to me. But for it to kind of move into your personal life, and yeah. then also it it, it moved into your uh, employment. Yes. So um, the editor of a publication that I had a column in um, as an agony column um, sent me a message the day that the article came out saying uh, we're terminating your contract we can no longer employ you as our agony aunt uh, we don't um, we don't like what you said <laughs> you know my my opinion wasn't being nasty my opinion was trying to Say, start look, a conversation. Yeah, start a conversation. Say, look, we're all talking about it's great to be big. It's, we're talking about, you know, it, let's put over, you know, plus size model, models on on magazines, and then at the same time we're saying people that the obesity rate is is massively growing. Um, diabetes is a huge problem. It's costing the NHS millions and millions of pounds. We can't sustain that. People are getting sick. Children are going to be dying younger than their parents' generation. We've got to do something about this. So maybe these two messages are conflicting and let's try and talk but about they're, it. They're, they're not mutually exclusive either. That's, no. that's the thing. So I think that's what happens is it becomes very black and white. Ian, uh, you know, you're with us or you're against us yeah. sort of mentality, which is confrontational to begin with. Yeah. But when it comes to... you. You can be inclusive. You can support people who are overweight. You can love people who are overweight. But on the same token, you can kind of also go, well, look, this is going to be detrimental to your health. What can we do about it? They're one that, you know, they really are not, you know, mutually exclusive. But it appears to be that people see anything saying anything negative about somebody who is overweight in regards to their health as being, you know, um, fat shaming. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. 
But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. You should celebrate yourself every day. But some days, you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. That takes me on, in, in a way, to the whole shaming thing, mm. which um, I don't know if you've read um, John Ronson's book, So You've Been Publicly Shamed. I, I've read some of it, yes. Yeah, so he tackles the whole area of public shaming and mm. people listening may remember Justine Sacco um, she had uh, written a very clumsy tweet before she was heading on a flight to South Africa uh, and it was around uh, she was heading the, off to Africa. Was so, she the PR woman? She was the PR yes, woman. Yes, yeah, she worked in PR and she just put a tweet saying you know, heading off to Africa hope I don't get AIDS. Oh, I'm white, I won't, right? <laughs> so um, anyway, she got on her very very long flight she fell asleep on the flight. Yeah. While she's asleep, um, one of her, and I think she only had like 127 followers on Twitter. She wasn't anybody big or anything like that. But one of her followers shared it with one of these Gawker um, reporters who had 15,000 followers, and then he shared it, and suddenly it exploded. Yeah. And uh, the whole uh, of the internet were uh, shaming her, um, calling her a racist, etc. Uh, now she was on a very long flight to South Africa so it actually built and built and this happened with this girl who was on the flight because she was unaware mm. um, you know her world had exploded and, and people were counting down to when she was going to land to Just watch awful. her reaction online and there was even people saying surely there's somebody there what flight is she on you know let's go and see and then you know people tweeting yes I'm here I'm here I have my camera at the ready yes. you know and this this girl, long story short, um, she made a very clumsy tweet. She was actually trying to make a self-depreciating joke about Americans living in a bubble and not realizing, you yeah. know, the extent of, um, you know, the AIDS epidemic. And yeah. but it was very clumsy and it clumsy. was easily interpreted as racist. And again, there's no nuance on social media. There was no nuance on social media. She couldn't step in and defend herself. She couldn't delete the tweet before, you know, oh, it got anywhere. It, yeah. yeah, it really was quite horrific. Um, and actually, you know, where people did try to step in and go, hold on a second, you could read that this way, yeah. they were then vilified. But what I found interesting as well, um, in, in my experience of what happened to me, and also I think happens to a lot of other people, is that after my article came out, other people started writing articles about my article and they would take the headline and they would take a summary of what they thought it said and then they would write it. And that spread all around, mainly around America and around the world. And so what was then people were reading and commenting on and sending me messages about was not my article at all, but somebody else's um, perception of my article uh, or somebody else's criticism of my article. And then the social media started becoming 
um, about that, not about what I'd said, but about what other people had said about me. And so people lose actually the truth and it grows and grows and grows. And and, and I think that's the interesting thing. And I didn't really realise until I started writing articles. I'm yeah. not a professional journalist, you know, but, but writing pieces and commenting to pieces yeah. is that you as a writer, you as a journalist, me as mm-hmm. someone writing about, you know, uh, brain health or, or these things, mm-hmm. have absolutely no control over what the, the headline of your article is. No. It's not written by you. No, no. It's written by a sub. Um, sometimes, very occasionally, you can ask to have headline approval. It's very unusual to get it. Um but yes, yes. So, and, so you, and people don't aren't aware. Yeah, yeah. And, and the general public aren't aware. And I'd love. To, I almost think that there should be a you know subheading written by, yeah, <laughs> article written by, um, because <laughs> I mean it's broken my heart several times, and not just yeah. in that instance. And yeah. sometimes I've even found things like I would be passionate about not referring to older people as the elderly. I don't see it as any different than yes. referring to the blacks or the gays. You know, it's kind of othering. Yeah. And I've written articles that actually may be about that topic. Yeah. <laughs> And then there'll be the elderly in the title. And I kind of go, how can I stand over that? I've I've had exactly the same with MS. People with multiple sclerosis don't like to be called sufferers. Um, You know, personally, I I don't have a problem with someone calls me a sufferer um, because obviously, you know, it's not not something I enjoy having particularly. But, you know, generally people don't want to be called sufferers. They don't want to be seen as victims. So we, you know, that's not what we say. We say people with MS or MSs. And the number of times I've been so careful to not put sufferer anywhere in the article to make sure, to even tell my editor, please don't put sufferer and then the headliner said ms sufferers yeah. so it, it's just wrecked but um taking us back to to the whole kind of phenomena of it um there's something interesting and you touched on it there that that um you know the internet and social media gave the voiceless a voice yes and uh, again ron john ronson talks about this in his book and he said it was so exciting because for the first time in our lives you know joe blogs the general public all of us could have a voice and we could have an opinion and we could share it and initially it started um in a wonderful way that 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 allowed people to talk about their flaws and 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 find that as is the case with anything yeah um you know if you're experiencing it you can guarantee that thousands others Mm. are experiencing it or they feel that way or they feel down or they feel this and it became this lovely space for a sharing and a connecting yeah and then somehow this virtual community built up that now has actually become a mob um a shaming mob it's something I've always been wary, very wary of and scared of. I don't like big groups. I don't like crowds. I don't like movements where, even when I was a kid, when you all had to sort of join in and sing the same thing and, you know, sort of go, yay. And I, I never felt comfortable doing that. And and I, I don't know if it's because I was brought up, you know, as a Jewish child, the, the, the granddaughter of, of Holocaust survivors, but this kind of whole mob mentality terrifies me and it, it and it is it's always the what i learned was it was is the ordinary nobodies who become the torturers and the and the people who allow these regimes to flourish it's not the people at the top 
that that make it work. It's the people who either turn a blind eye or just go along with it. But that that's in a way part of the human condition, and yes. I, I think we have to acknowledge that. Yeah. You know, we we all think we're good people, and we all believe that we're not capable of doing terrible things. But what's happening on social media actually is an example of how awful we can be. Yes. Because it's not just trolls. Yes, we have trolls do certain things, but it is not just trolls who say the certain things like it's not it wasn't trolls who who wrote about you it was ordinary everyday people yeah. including your friends yeah. and other journalists it wasn't just trolls against um you know Justine Sacco it was no. thousands and thousands of people in fact actually i think something like prior to that tweet her name was searched 40 times a month on the internet mm. i think the tweet happened on the 20th of december and between the 20th of december and the end of december her name had been searched 1.5 million times or 1.2 million times so that's a lot of ordinary everyday people when we become part of a group um some people and a lot of people can lose touch with their own moral compass yes and they get swept along with whatever's happening in the group and part of that is probably um feeding in also to those reward systems because you're part of a group and you know everybody's doing this and everybody's together people are liking your tweets or your facebook comments and they're sharing them and therefore you're getting um Um, reward you're getting you're getting dopamine release you're being endorsed in your brain you're being endorsed so that's i mean that's the whole reason social media works they really understand the human brain it's part of the reason i'm passionate about trying to explain to people how your brain works because i think it's empowering Um, because so many people who have a big role in your life, such as the people who have set up social media, boy, do they really understand how your brain works. Mm. They really understand how your uh, reward system works. And that's it. That's how simple it is. Simply getting a like or a little beep or a little click on on your phone. Yeah. You know, even if you're playing a yeah. game, it's the beeps and the clicks are yeah. great. You know, you, yeah. you get a little buzz and a reward. But the problem with reward is it can become, you know, like that, it can become addictive and you want Yes. more and you want more and you want more yes. and it all feeds into this cycle and I wonder if it's actually making people nastier because I was brought up if you don't have anything nice to say don't say it yes you know. so you know we, we've all like seen someone walking down the road and thought oh god you know she looks awful what's she wearing but you just wouldn't say it mm-hmm. but on social media you say it and then, or well, I don't say it, but some people say it, and then everybody will like it, and then other people will share it, and it's like, oh well, I'm, it's okay to say that, mm. and suddenly it becomes okay to be nasty. So I wonder if it's actually making people feel it's okay. So I'm really interested, actually, as well as in, in how social media is changing our brains and changing mm. how we interact as a species. So when we're being socially engaged with people being part of a social group is quite complicated behavior but there's a lot of rules around being socially engaged and there's social norms and sometimes they're related to culture and sometimes they're not and if you break those social norms in face-to-face society generally speaking you're ostracized and that either can be from a group that you're a part of you know whether it's a football team or you know or uh, you know a wider society in general if you break the rules there will be a punishment a payoff of sorts now we developed an internet and a social media because we could yeah 
And there's been no ethical um, considerations of the unintended consequences of developing such a media. Um, it, it, in a way, it's a little bit similar to the, you know, splitting the atom and, and the scientist <laughs> not thinking that ever that an yeah. atom bomb would be created from it. Yeah. And... Um, so we've got this amazing resource. I'm not against the internet. I'm not against social media. But one of these unintended consequences is that it's changing social behavior yeah. online. And, and, and I think that's very, very scary. And the other thing about this group behavior is that when we are in a group engaging in an activity, there's also a sense of diminished culpability. Yeah. It's like you're only one piece of the bad thing so yes. that's not really that bad yes exactly and also you know you you've said it they've said it so actually it must be what everyone thinks so therefore it's not that bad and that's forgetting the bubble as well where you're just fed back in social yes. media the people who agree with you and, yeah. and so it's 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 actually it's called you know sort of social media and in some ways it gets us connected but actually in other ways it's make, made us much more disconnected from diverse views yes um and 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 the way i've i've noticed it's totally changed my relationships as well in the sense that there's a kind of group of people on on social media and because i work from home i tend to be on social media a lot because it's my water cooler it's my you know my office i yes. don't have anyone else to talk to when i'm working from home so um, I'm on there a lot and, and and there's the same crowd of people who are responding and interacting with me and sometimes I step back and I think I've never met some of these people mm -hmm. I know nothing really about their lives because sometimes they'll post something and I'll be like God, I didn't know that about mm. them um, and I realise that I'm talking to people I don't really know all day and yet the, my close friends who aren't on social media I maybe speak to every few weeks Thank you for listening. Hilary and I will continue our chat next week. For regular updates and bonus material, follow Superbrain Podcast and Sabina Brennan on Instagram and at Sabina underscore Brennan on Twitter. Subscribe to Superbrain on Acast, Apple, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. And remember, if you loved it, rate it, review it and share it. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on.